Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. There are some experiences that cannot be just told. They're so awesome, so magnificent, so astonishing that they're actually somewhat terrifying. So years ago, many years ago, BC, before children, my, <laughs> my wife and I took a trip to South America. And when we did, we visited a place that I had heard about but never visited called Iguazu Falls. It's on a river and a falls that divides Argentina and Brazil. Uh, it would be spectacular, we had both been told and we had read, to visit the falls. So after asking around and considering what was there, we decided that what we were going to do was to walk out on the walkway that has been built over the river. It, it goes for just over a kilometer till you finally reach the very precipice over which the falls plunge. And there is a platform on which you can stand just at the lip of La Garganta del Diablo, the devil's throat. There it is. Now, honestly, the picture here, the river is a little fuller than it was when we were there. Had it been like this, Anita would have gone alone. But, <laughs> but I would have prayed for you, sweetheart. I would have prayed for you. So you go out, you go on the walkway all the way to the platform. You are standing right above the chasm. It is impossible to adequately describe it because the platform beneath your feet shakes and trembles as the naked sheer power of the water plunges over that cataract into the gorge below. The sound is loud enough to be absolutely deafening, and the spray blows in your face, and the mist creates rainbows above your head. It's a place that is utterly stunning. In fact, I looked this week online, visitor's guides to Iguazu Falls, and I found this one sentence I thought you ought to hear. Here's what it says. It is a place of majesty and awe, and then listen to the last part of that sentence and should be left until the end of your visit. <laughs> you know what they're saying. If you go there anywhere before the end, it's all downhill from there. Save the very best for last, because once you've been to Iguazu, it will affect you at a profound level. Some experience can't, experiences cannot simply be described. When you enter into them, you find that they are both awesome and frightening, all mixed in together. So this Easter weekend, we have been considering the shock and awe of the gospel story. 
Last night, we were shocked by life at Calvary as we discovered that no matter what our dreams are, no matter how well we have life planned, suddenly there's Calvary. And we are shocked by life. What happened to our dreams? What will become of us now? This morning, though, we go to the tomb where we experience the awe of God. Now, to do so, we're going to go back to Mark's gospel just as we did last night, this time Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter. But before we read the text for the day, I just need to lay a little bit of groundwork about Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is a fast-paced gospel. It's believed to be, be not only a, a gospel that was probably inspired and told by Peter, but one that was written with action woven all the way through it. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words is the word immediately. That word in the original Greek, the word that gets translated into English as immediately, occurs no less than 40 times in the gospel. So think about that. 16 chapters long, over 40 times. That's an average of more than two and a half times per chapter. Mark just opens up and suddenly you're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it. Bodies are being healed. Lives are being changed. Enemies are coming out of nowhere. You're right in the mix of it all. And Mark says, and immediately this happened, and immediately, and then that happened, and immediately the other happened. And by chapter two or three, you're out of breath. You're like, Mark, 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 slow down. But that's Mark. So when we come to his story of the resurrection, we should expect something different, unusual. And Mark doesn't disappoint. Mark 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You know this, though you may not have thought about it recently, but you know that we have no known original manuscripts of the New Testament documents. What we have are copies. What we have are very ancient, or if you're looking at it from the other angle, very early copies, very reliable. In fact, the process of copying the documents that we know as Scripture was very meticulous, exceedingly careful. But despite that fact, there are certain variants that crept into the text. You know that because your Bible tells you that. 
You will read a verse and you'll see there's a footnote and you'll look down in the footnote and it will say, this is not in such and such a text. Or also this word was in other ancient documents. Or this doesn't appear. It, it happens with quite a bit of frequency. Now, it's not something to stress about because it's typically a word here, a term there, a statement there, and none of them make any difference in Christian doctrine, in the assurance of salvation, or in the story of Jesus in our lives. But there are two or three that are rather large. And we have just read a passage that has that as part of it. So if you brought your Bible, you'll find this in your Bible, or if you're looking on your phone or tablet, you may find it there. In my Bible, after Mark 16, verse 8, the rest of the chapter, verses 9 to 20, is all in italics. And it is headed by these words. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 to 20. In other words, what they're saying is the most reliable, the earliest manuscripts end at verse 8. So let me, let me remind you how that passage then would end. They encounter the open and broken tomb. They listen to the words of the young man in white. And then it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And it ends. Seriously, Mark? Did you really end your gospel there? On a note of trembling and bewilderment and awe and astonishment and fear? Now, there is scholarly debate about this. Make no mistake about that. But there are many who believe that simply what happened was this. A reliable scribe somebody who knew the story of Jesus, somebody involved in the early church, wrote about 11 more verses that were truthful, that were part of the early church story. They knew that this came from Jesus, was a part of what Jesus said, because that scribe was saying, Mark, is this how you ended? And, and, and cleaned it up, put a nice bow on it. True words but different than Mark may have intended. Wow. So what do we do with that? Could it be possible that after verse 8, what we have from the earliest manuscripts was precisely what Mark intended? Because you see, there are some experiences, some moments, some places, some events that are so stunning, so filled with awe, so magnificent that they fill us both with awe and wonder and with fear and terror. It's just the reality of life. So back years ago, our, our, our kids were crumb crunchers at the time. My mom and dad came to visit us. They came to visit us, and, and, and when you have guests who come to see you in Southern California from out of state, you take them to the happiest place on earth, right? And so we packed up the car, and down we went to Disneyland. It was a great day, I think, because not only were we there, but the rest of Southern California was there at <laughs> Disneyland. 
And I can remember saying, well, we, we got to ride Space Mountain. And, and, and my parents, my dad's like, well, what's Space Mountain? I may or may not have been totally truthful. I just said, well, it's, it's a roller coaster. Now, Dad liked roller coasters as much as he liked a root canal, but I said, come on, Dad, we, we, we got to go. We got to do this. And my sister's with us and her two boys. We all got to go. Space Mountain, it's a great roller coaster ride. And so we get in line. And we get in line only to discover that not only is Disneyland the happiest place on earth, it's also the most deceptive place on earth. Because you get in line and the door's right there. And then that line goes off and it snakes around. It winds around down by San Diego and then up the coast <laughs> and then Orange County. And it's like, when are we going to get to this ride? As we finally start to get closer, we can begin to hear from inside the cries of the condemned. <laughs> and as that starts to waft on the air out to where we are, I'm watching my nephews, my youngest nephew, who's kind of timid and quiet, he said, you know, Mimi's over there all by herself. I think I'm going to go stand with Mimi. And he disappeared. And I could tell the dam was about to break. So I'm trying to hold him in there. And, and his brother says, well, no, if he's not going, I'm not going. So he left. I look at my sister, and I can see it all over her face. Rand, I love you, but mom's back there with the boys. I can't leave them alone. So off she goes. Now it's dad and me. And I'm looking at dad, and I can read it on his face. He, his face says, I have no interest in this. I said, Dad, Dad, just hang in there with me. You got to write. Dad, we've come this far by faith. <laughs> I got him into the building. And somehow, by the grace of God, I think, I got him down that walkway. And we got seated and latched in. And then I said, oh, what have I done? And we took off, and suddenly it's just pitch black darkness. And when you think you're going up, the bottom drops out. When you brace to go left, you go right. It's up and down and around every direction. You can't see anything. I'm sure to Dad, it felt like it must have lasted 20 minutes. We finally ended. We got out and got outside. All I can say is the look on my dad's face said, what was that? What was that? Dad, you want to go again? No. <laughs> no. What in the world? It was stunning and awesome and frightening to the core. You really have to be there to experience, because there are some experiences in life that are just that way. And then we walk with the women to the tomb. And we hear their conversation. Who will roll away the stone? Hold this for me, I might be able to. And they come up to the tomb only to discover that the tomb has been broken and the dead is not there. That Christ is risen. And they stand there utterly stunned, shocked. What is this? You have to understand that throughout the Gospel of Mark, the sense of asking the question and finding an answer to who is this has been building. Sometimes it is implicitly there. Sometimes it's explicitly stated. 
But as people are watching this Nazarene do what he does, the question on every mind is, who is this? Do you remember Mark 4, the night on the lake? When the storm is fierce, the disciples are afraid. They're frantically trying to save themselves. And suddenly Jesus stands and he says, enough. Peace. Be still. And nature obeys. Mark says, in the storm, the disciples were afraid. Mark says, when the storm obeyed, they were terrified. And you know what they said? Who is this? What is this power that has been unleashed upon the world? The women are simply living out the reality of what has been happening through the ministry of Jesus to come to a grave that is broken open, to find that the body is gone and is alive, and to have an angel say to you, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. They're speechless, stunned, overwhelmed, bewildered, and they stagger and then stumble and then run from the tomb, filled with uncertainty and questions and awe. over what has happened. Do you want to know what I think? I think Mark ended the gospel exactly where he wanted to end the gospel, with people stunned and still saying, who is this? So he was who falls. There's a couple of ways you could learn about and try to experience it. One would be if you come to church here and I just describe it to you. It's an amazing place, stunning place. In fact, the falls is this wide and this deep, and, and during the rainy season, mainly through November through March, there's 420,000 cubic square feet of water that plunge over the fall every second. In the driest part of the dry season, basically August to October, there's only 62,000 cubic square feet of water that plunges over the fall every second. You can stand there close to the gorge. It's an amazing view. And you can learn about Iguazu Falls that way. Or you can come with me, and we can walk about a kilometer and every step we take, we're clutching more tightly to each other. And we begin to feel the trembling as we get closer to the falls. By the time we're on the platform, it is shaking. We can't speak. The roar is deafening. The water is spraying in our faces. It's sheer naked power. We are stunned and awed and scared out of our minds. That's another way to experience it. Almost, almost like Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia. Lucy, who comes to the water, the pure, the clean, crystal clear water that promises to slake her thirst. She's so thirsty. But right there by the shore lies Aslan, the lion. Aslan is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Lucy says, I'm thirsty. 
than drink. But can you move away? No. But I'm thirsty. Then drink. But are you safe? No. I'm good. But I'm not safe. And then you're terrified. But you're drawn. Because this one loves you with an everlasting love, but has a power that can upend your life, turn it in a different direction, a life-oriented direction, but not always a safe direction. I like what the New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold says about Mark's ending. He says, speculations about a lost ending or suggestions that Mark somehow failed to complete his gospel are not helpful. The gospel begins as abruptly as it ends, and it is more likely that Mark intends this suspenseful ending to provoke a reaction in the reader. In other words, he's saying, this is what it's like to encounter the risen Christ Good, eternally good, loving, eternally loving, but not always safe. And it will provoke in you a sense of awe and wonder. I love the way Eugene Peterson expresses that with these words. It's not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder to another. It's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged, and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. Exactly what the women did. You may have experiences like that in your life. Moments when some awesome scene affected you in that fashion. It's just a tiny glimpse of the broken tomb. Bill Moyers, the journalist, wrote about such. He writes it in the first person because the witness who saw it told it to Moyers, and then Moyers wrote it for him. Listen to what Moyers writes. I was an observer at the launch of Apollo 17 in 1975. So the Apollo spacecraft program that was shooting off into space. This observer was a witness to one of those launches. Those launches where that rocket is several miles away. It's nighttime and we're all watching. I was an observer. It was a night launch, and there were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the lawn, drinking beer, wisecracking, and waiting for this 35-story high rocket to lift off. Some perspective, our new medical center, 17 stories. This, 35 stories, and waiting to see it lift off. The countdown came and then the launch. The first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just at the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything is illuminated with this light. Then this thing slowly rises up in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. You hear a whoosh, 
And then mm, it goes right through you. It enters into you. You can practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder fills the whole place as this thing goes up and up and up. The first stage ignites this beautiful blue flame. It becomes like a star, but you realize there are human beings on that. And then there's total silence. People just get up, quietly helping each other. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, speaking quietly and interestedly. And then listen to how this witness concludes. These were suddenly moral people because the sense of wonder, the experience of wonder, had made them moral. It changes you. It transforms you. And that was the women who ran, ran staggering and stumbling from that place but would ultimately open up and tell the tale, a story that then the disciples would begin to promulgate all over that part of the world, a story that would ultimately reach to the very ends of the earth, a story that continues to change people to this very day. Because that experience of awe, that experience of wonder changes you. That's what Timothy Keller says. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That brings to mind my maybe all-time favorite Easter quote. I've probably shared it with you ten times, and if I have a chance, I'll do it ten more. Jaroslav Pelikan, who simply says this, If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. It is just that central. And Mark, who has been telling this story, this story about people watching this itinerant rabbi transform their world. The question has been, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And there's a sense of excitement accompanied by an awe and a fear. Why should it be any different at the tomb? So I want to ask you to do something. Some of you here today have made, years ago, decades ago, a decision to place your faith in that risen Christ. You've been to the tomb in your spiritual experience. You've experienced His Holy Spirit power in your life, transforming you. You have been walking with Jesus. But today I want to invite you to reaffirm that walk, to simply say, Lord Christ, you are good and you are scary. But I want to reaffirm my walk with you today. Or there are others here who have not made that decision, 
who have not placed your faith in a risen Christ. I want to ask you today to consider it, to enter into the life and experience of the women and allow the Holy Spirit to pervade your life and experience and to transform you with a sense of the wonder of the risen Christ and say to him, I accept you today. It scares me because I don't know where it's going next, Lord, but I choose you. I'd like to ask both of you to reaffirm or to choose in one simple act. When our service ends today, you can take that flower that you have been given. Take that flower, and as you exit the sanctuary and the lobby, you will find a cross. And place that flower at the foot of the cross. And in your heart say either, I choose or I reaffirm faith in you. A God that is good. A God that is love. A God that is awesome and frightening but a God who loves you with an everlasting love and will draw you to himself in his kingdom. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.